Hello and welcome to the River and Panhandle's weekly podcast. We are so excited that you are tuning in for this week's message. Before we get started, there are a few things that we would love for you to do. Share it, subscribe, and rate the podcast. So the message is about to begin. We hope that you are encouraged and that you always remember, no role is insignificant. Every life matters and go out and make a difference. me. Uh, we used to attend the river. We've moved to Canyon. I've been back a few times since we've moved and shared a few other times. I appreciate you having me this morning. Um, I hope we all have an opportunity to have something uh, from the Lord this morning impact us and move us. My goal this morning, uh, by the way, my name is Jeremy, but my goal this morning is that you might not even remember my name, but you would not forget this moment that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit impacted you And Jesus impacted you in such a way that from this point forward, it's a landmark in your life because it's pushed you in a way to seek him more and understand how he feels about you, what he believes in you, and how much he loves you. So before we get started this morning, I'm going to pray and uh, we'll kick things off. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for allowing us to be here. I pray that you would use me as a mouthpiece, Jesus, to honor you, worship you, to fight for your kingdom this morning and take ground back that has been stolen from you and your family, your children. I pray that we would open our hearts to your truth, and not only that, that we would act on it, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. So I've worked with students for 11 years prior um, to doing what I do now, and uh, I've always enjoyed working with kids. Kids believe in things easily. They have a lot of fun. They laugh a lot more frequently than adults do. Um, Us as adults, we get old and boring and cynical, um, and I'm talking about myself mainly. So kids keep me on my toes. So that's stuff I did prior. That's how I've got into the speaking and teaching uh, and education world. And and so I really enjoy uh, sharing and walking alongside people in their journey in life, whether it's in sports, I've coached some, whether it's in the church, whether it's one-on-one or just family friends. And the reason I like it is because I like growing myself. I like being pushed out of my comfort zone. I like being the best I possibly can be, not to compare myself to others, but spiritually and as a person, because when I'm in that situation, those around me, they benefit. And so I used to tell my students and my athletes all the time, I'm going to push you. And so this morning, I am going to push you. And I would always finish with telling them, if I have to step on your toes to do so and to make you move, I'll do it. Because if somebody really loves you and they care, they won't let you stay in a comfortable spot if they know there's something better for you out there. That's just the truth. I won't let my kids skip out on taking medicine if they really need it, just because it tastes bad. That would be bad parenting on my part. It may taste taste bad, but it's beneficial. Because you see, comfort is a very unique thing that keeps you in a position to where you feel like you don't need anything. We're in a unique situation in our country right now. We no longer even have to go out to eat. You can get it DoorDash to you. Microwaves took the spot of the stove, so you don't really have to work that hard to cook something at home if you don't want to. And I I can attest to that. 
those little corn dogs that you can microwave. I mean, come on. Amen. Like, it's like, okay, do I spend 45 minutes cooking a meal or do I eat four of them bad boys and some Cheetos? Done. Not even taking a vote, not even asking again. It's corn dogs and Cheetos because it's convenient, right? And it tastes good. But we're in a spot in our country where comfort has created a situation where it's super easy to stay where you are and to not have to really think about going anywhere else. The reason that's a red flag is Israel did it many times. They were in trouble, they asked for God's help. God had to do miraculous things to save them, release them from slavery, split a Red Sea, dance in a fire with them when a king was trying to crucify or to, to criticize and persecute them by killing them for not worshiping a golden idol. He was there with them the whole time and he rescued them. They get rescued, they get comfortable. God's literally raining down food from heaven. I mean, could you imagine little personal pan pizzas just coming down every day and it's like first week, it's like, man, this is awesome. I don't even have to microwave it. Didn't have to prepare the bread. They, they weren't cooking. God was just sending it to them, Air Express. But what happened, they got comfortable and said, can we not get some meat? Can we not have something else? I've seen what I have every day. I've seen my job, I've seen my circumstances, I've seen my life. Can I not just get something else? And there's a saying in life, the grass is not greener on the other side, it's green where you water it. And so yeah, your grass may not be green, but that's usually a lack of effort and discipline on your part and not taking care of what God's given you because you're in a comfortable spot. So the last thing I'm gonna give you before we get into the three things I'm gonna be talking about this morning is another saying I really enjoy speaking to the area of comfort, okay? Tough times create tough people. Tough people create easy times. Easy times create weak people. And weak people create tough times. You have to understand, you may be in good times, but you better believe the enemy's not sleeping. You better not stop exercising your mind and your heart, even your muscles. Because we live in a world, at any point in time, no matter how comfortable our country is, that sin, temptation, and the evil one wants to take you from the heavenly family that is chasing for you as well. And it is a spiritual battle. Don't get complacent. Don't sleep on your family and your friends, your co-workers even, that maybe they never had a family or a surrounding or influence in their life that has shown them the possibilities they have not only in this life, but the possibilities they have in the next one. So that leads me to the three things we're actually gonna be talking about this morning that need your attention, my attention, immediately. And the three things are time, purpose, and relationship. And we're gonna talk about time first. Time, I want you to imagine that there is an hourglass, okay, in your life. Hourglass represents time passing, right? Let's say it's run out, you pick it up, you turn it over, and however much sand is in that hourglass, whatever size, whatever it looks like, I don't care. At some point in time, that sand's gonna finish running out, marking the end of some sort of time, correct? Okay, I need you to imagine that your life's clock is ran by an hourglass. The reason is, is because an hourglass can be very sneaky. We have nice countdowns, they're bright, 
They flash in your eyes. It's a little bit easier to catch the countdown going into the service starting or after the announcement, somebody getting up on stage and kicking things off, correct? An hourglass is silent. Unless you put your ear up to it, you can't hear that sand falling. An hourglass can be easily missed because as soon as you set it down and you turn away, you're no longer aware of how much time is left in that hourglass. And once again, you forget what it is that's going on there. Your time on this earth is just like that. How easy is it to think, well, tomorrow I'll this. Next week I'll do that. In 10 years I plan to do this. And I know I talk like that all the time. And so if it's just me in the room, this is for me. You cannot think that tomorrow's guaranteed. One of the most interesting things I like looking into is the stories of people's lives who begin a terminal diagnosis. When interviewed and taken a poll, almost all of those people say the best years of their life were after their diagnosis. Why? Because they're reminded that the end is coming. They're just told that, hey, yours is coming a little bit quicker, so whatever you was putting off for the next decade, 20 years, you need to do it now. That's our problem. We say, I'll do it later. I'll do it next week. You know, I know I really want to take care of this, and I got some issues to uh, manage or address, but I'll do it next month. When it comes around to next school year, we'll, we'll implement this or that with the kids. You know, I know something was said by their friends to them at school about this, but, you know, I'll just see if they bring it up again, but I won't address it now because it's kind of awkward. I don't know what to say. It's too uncomfortable, and I get that. This is also to me. But you have to understand something. Everybody in here is terminal. There's not a single person that's not going to have an end here on earth. It's not easy to think about. Once again, I'm going to step on your toes this morning. It's not easy to think about what happens after the end. I believe in my heart of hearts through my experience with Jesus and what the Bible says that there is something after this, but I don't know how I get there. I don't know if it's like, beam me up, Scotty. And I'm just there and it's like really cool with all these colors flashing around. And I stand in front of Jesus and I get to do like the Thor pose and like I made it, my king. Hopefully I have the cool accent and a lot bigger muscles too. But I don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty around the end, correct? But that can't keep us from being mindful of it. As a matter of fact, if you push yourself in that uncomfortable place, it will make sure you make the most of what you have here and now, no matter how much longer you have. I hope it's at least to where I get to raise my kids and they have the influence of both their parents in the, the home and we're not missing one due to or unfortunate circumstances, accidents, sickness. But I don't know. So I better make sure they understand without a doubt how much I love them. What I stood for. How that they need to be tough enough to stand up for what is Right. You know, that's another thing about comfort here in our country and, and where we're going. You have to be tough. Not for a trophy, not for the best in sports. Everything that I faced, the toughest moment, moments of my life was never in a sports arena. It ain't about working out. It ain't about being the strongest or the fastest. If you are not tough, when your marriage gets hard, you won't be there. When finances get tough, you won't be there. When things get difficult with your kids, you won't be there. Because it takes grit 
to stay in and fight the spiritual warfare that we do experience in the time we have here on earth. It's not a spiritual playground. The Bible calls it spiritual warfare. And if you've ever seen a fight scene in a movie, it's not one of these... It's not quiet. It's not soft. It's not docile. Spiritual warfare is loud. It's aggressive. And it is about where you end up at the end of your time. It's life-threatening to your soul, not your body. We talk about, and it talks about in the Bible, you'll get a new body. But for your soul, it isn't a balance in this spiritual warfare, and you better have the grit enough to say, I am going to address this, I'm going to face this, and I'm going to pursue what is true and what is right, no matter how hard it gets to do so. Because you never know when you're going to be faced with that circumstance. Kids are easy. You give them easy examples all the time. And I used to ask my students, who in here could do 200 push-ups right now if I asked you? No hands go up. But I'd ask them, if you worked at it, could one day you get strong enough to do 200 push-ups in a row? They said, yes. It would take a lot of work, right? Well, imagine being told you're going to face circumstances that are so heavy you're being told, the Bible's warned us that it's gonna be, it's gonna take so much strength mentally, physically, and spiritually to lift that if you don't train before you get up there, are you gonna be able to lift it? No. If you don't put in the time to do those push-ups day in and day out, when the time comes and you're asked to do your 200 push-up benchmark, you're not gonna be able to do it because you didn't put in the time to do so. Don't let circumstances come up on you that you know are going to be happening. I don't know what they're going to look like exactly. I don't know what you're going to face specifically, but they're going to be heavy at times. The Bible talks about how it rains on the just and the unjust, rich and poor, tall and short, skinny and round. It doesn't matter. It's going to rain. So you better be invested in umbrella. You better be working on your mental fortitude, your strength, and your discipline. Because time only gives you so much opportunity to be prepared. I want you to imagine something. Here's the beginning of the timeline from the beginning of the creation of the world. And I'm standing at the very beginning. That's how our universe is created. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about a timeline to wrap up our section of time this morning. And going on for an eternity that way is the rest of the timeline. Because past our time on earth is an eternity spent somewhere, which means time never ends. Once again, I don't know exactly how that looks, how that plays out. There's a lot of questions I got when I get up there to talk to the big man, but it's one of those I can't answer for you. I'm an average dude with average mental capability, so don't come to me with that question. But I know this is the beginning, and imagine you have a needle. Everybody's got a little needle this morning. You get to come stick your needle that represents your entire life in a timeline, because we got... Jesus, a few steps down, 33 years approximately on earth, okay? The needle that represents his time here, a little sliver here in the timeline. Approximately 2,000 years later, here we are listening to a weird dude on the stage talk about three things we need to focus on this morning, and your needle is right here representing your time on earth. I've walked eight feet, and eternity that way is the other direction. You are here but for a brief moment, make sure you make the most of it. We have the opportunity 
as Christians to live wholesale, all out, with nothing but smiles, excitement, and possibilities, because even if everything falls apart, our next stop is actually home. This is not home, and it is heaven. And it's so easy to worry about making sure the paychecks are coming in. The 401k is racking up. The bills are paid. Maybe if it's so hard to even stay caught up with making sure we have the toys that everybody else does or going on the vacations that I see on social media or making sure that we have the house that has the same square foot as the group I'm running with. I don't know what it is, but I know I faced all those kinds of fears and worries because I am just as human as you are. But you have to understand something. I don't get to take any of that with me. Which leads me into the next section we're gonna talk about this morning, and it's your purpose. This is tied to your identity. And I want you to imagine something that you are a toolbox walking around, okay? In that toolbox, you have plenty of space for everything that God has created you to be with your gifts, talents, and abilities. So all of those are in your toolbox. You get to use those, whether it's your um, ability to serve people, help people, make people laugh, speak, teach, coach. Maybe you're good at mechanicing and help servicing people's homes and cars and whatever it is that God has given you that lights your heart on fire, those tools are in your toolbox, okay? But this toolbox is extra big. This toolbox also collects everything that we put in it over the years. So once again, maybe you've really focused on a lot of time and effort and energy on a certain house, a large house or career or toys or cars or whatever it is. None of those are an issue unless they do overshadow other much more important priorities. But regardless of what it is, everything that we experience here on earth, physical and even the spiritual stuff like here this morning, the moment you got to take communion with your family and kids, those memories and influences and the actions you took to wake up this morning, get your behind to church and invest in pursuing the king, those moments get to add up in your toolbox. You following me? We begin to carry those around and they can get super heavy in a good or a bad way. It's up to what you put in your toolbox. At the end of your life though, you gotta have pit stop. I almost imagine it when they talk about your life flashing before your eyes and you gotta unload certain things out of that toolbox before you get the trip to eternity. So you see anything that's in that toolbox that has zero eternal value has to stay. You have to unload it. Anything that has monetarily value here on earth, anything that uh, does not have uh, a soul or does not have an impact in the kingdom of heaven, it gets to stay. Not saying that all of it's bad. Once again, it doesn't matter. We gotta have a home to live in. You gotta have a car. You can enjoy and experience things. You can travel. You can live in a, a van if you want to. That's really popular lately in the world we live in. On social media, there's a lot of people saying, you know, hey, man, I, I wanted to, to have a nomad lifestyle, so I'm living in, a, living in a van. And so I just know that if I run out of money, instead of telling people I'm broke, I just, I just live, I chose to live in a van. Make it super easy. Now, some of those people, they just don't have families, and it makes it really easy for them to, to journey the world. Whatever's in your toolbox, though, you got to understand, has earthly value or it has kingdom value? You need to make sure now 
what you're putting in your toolbox has the value that matters that when you get to the kingdom of heaven, you can say, wow, I made it home. Not only did I make it home, all of these things that got to come with me that I stood before the king and was held accountable for, you're gonna be accountable for both, but the ones I get to keep, I now get to celebrate with those that went before me and those that are coming after me. See, I don't want a bunch of memories right now that I'll only remember and that only make an impact here. I want memories made that we get to laugh about them now, celebrate them, even cry about them because even some of the best memories in life are some of the toughest things you go through and you may be on the verge of breaking, but when you get to heaven, you'll say, you remember that time that our face was underwater and we were so low and so struggling and we had those people rally around us. And we came up and we saw the power of Jesus in our lives. And we're gonna be able to celebrate those moments for an eternity. Like a band of brothers, a band of family of saying, we saw the worst. We were in that war. And not only did we not focus on the difficulties or the struggle, we brought other people with us. We weren't just trying to survive, we were the rescue unit. Because it's not about helping somebody else make more money. If you can help save their soul to no matter what they ever make on this planet, they get to go be in heaven for an eternity. You've given them the best thing they could ever have in their life. It's part of your purpose. Jesus did not create you to make money. You can make money. Don't get me wrong. Listen to me. It's a very particular balance. You make a bazillion dollars. But it's really hard to imagine Jesus walking around after he was born in one of the poorest places in the Middle East. He could have picked any family to be born to, right? I mean, let's be real. And then live in a situation where he just depended on the, the, the gracious giving of the people around him to accept him in, his home, in their home, give him food, and take care of him. I don't think he was worried about money. He was worried about souls. Jesus gave up his seat in heaven to live a very poor life to come find you. He didn't care what your career looks like. He didn't care if you have a bazillion followers followers on social media. He doesn't care whether you made the A, B, or C team. He doesn't care whether you own or don't own a business. He doesn't care whether you have a large home or it's on wheels. He, He didn't care. He cares that you understand who you are, what your purpose is. And he cares that you use that purpose to open the eyes of other people around you to understand they were created for more than this crazy place we call a temporary home. That's what he cares about. And if you, if you can do that while making a million dollars, get after it. Because I know if you know Jesus and you care about Jesus, you'll have a million dollars to help somebody else with. I understand that. Because Jesus gave everything he had and you as a believer will understand, I now have a a mode and a means to impact people, which is a financial system to now spread the kingdom. That's where it gets big. But it has to start with you understanding who you are and your purpose.
One of uh, my favorite influences um, in this area of living a life on fire is Bob Goff. Has anybody read or know Bob Goff by chance? Or raise of hands? Okay, a few, all right, a few. It's hard at times not to think, well, man, I'm trying to do some cool stuff, but that dude Bob Goff, I mean, he's got like this cabin he built up in Canada, and he flies all these cool planes with his sons and his kids, and he builds schools for people. And I mean, what am I really doing? I need you to understand something. Jesus created me as Jeremy, not as Bob Goff. And we have to go back to the beginning to realize that Bob Goff shouldn't even have the possibility to be building schools for children. Here's why. In the Garden of Eden, God showed his intent for what he wanted for us. God said, I'm creating a place. This is what it looks like. This is what I want for you and a relationship between us. There was no sickness. It was heaven on earth. No pain. There was no death in the Garden of Eden until we made that choice. And I say we because I would have eaten it probably before Eve did, and I'd have gotten the dudes in trouble, right? Right now, at least we got the women ate it first, and it's kind of like, hey, they were the first, and we can kind of blame it on it. If it was me, I probably would have been the first one there. So we can't blame Adam and Eve, but before they ate the fruit, it was heaven on earth. God displayed his intent, which means past that point, as Adam and Eve had a family and families began to grow and the lineage and heritage got bigger and bigger, there would have been no other families to impact. There would have been no orphans to take care of. There would have been no war-torn countries to build schools in because every single person would have taken care of their spouses and taken care of their kids because we were in a situation that in the Garden of Eden, we were living in a way that honored God and honored the people around us immediately. There would have been no lack or need for there to be someone to spread the gospel and to take love and purpose to somebody else. There was no need. That's why God didn't create us. That's not your intent. Before social media, jets, planes, TV, the only world you could really impact was the one around you. When it says take the gospel to the world, when you take it to somebody in a town over and they take it to the next town over and the next town over and the next town over, that's how the gospel got around the world then. Jesus is not putting the pressure on you to change the world. Just your world, your family, your kids, your coworkers. That's your world. Yeah, Bob Goff's really good at doing things that are extravagant and for other people, and that's great but that's not what is expected of me. And why would I even worry about that if I'm not doing what I need to at home in the first place? Don't watch social media. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't put expectations on you that once again have no eternal value. Don't make it about praise and accolades and followings and money. Because as soon as you do, you'll miss your purpose once again. And what's sad is if you do chase those things, you'll actually miss, once again, the very people that you need to and are expected to impact in the first place, your family. If your purpose is to go and do something somewhere else, that means your family will go with you. We'll make sure that everybody, nobody's left behind in your household. But if you don't, you'll go off and do something that you are chasing on your own and the people that you are supposed to make sure and you're responsible for first they will get left behind. Your purpose is important. It ties in your identity, and it's one of those things that you have to understand that it starts right here between you and Jesus, and it immediately begins to bleed just right around you in your circle. Your purpose 
is important. Make sure you read the definition of what Jesus says your purpose is, not the world's. I promise you, they're completely different. Leads me into my last piece, relationship. Okay, I want you to imagine, I love the mountains. Let's imagine there's two seats on a nice, beautiful mountaintop with just a beautiful view. Two chairs that you consistently meet with someone regularly because I love sitting down having coffee and chatting with just somebody, right? Okay, but let's say you sit in that chair often and regularly and you meet with a handful of different people, okay? But let's say none of those people are ever Jesus, but you find yourself talking about the Bible and God, who you are, talking about even Jesus often. Let's imagine that's the only time you actually ever hear about Jesus is through somebody else, another person, another conversation. Could you imagine somebody knowing about you, but the only way they know anything about you was through everybody else in your town? You never had the chance to actually talk to this individual, share who you are, what your intentions are, where you've been, where you've grown up, anything like that, but they've only talked to other people in your town about who you are. Maybe there was an issue. Maybe somebody's frustrated that you did this or that. Do you think there's a chance they don't have the full story? Would you like the chance to actually meet that person and actually portray who you are 100% and accurately? You would, right? Don't let your relationship with Jesus be completely based on what a guy on a stage tells you, what a Bible app tells you only, what a person in your city tells you only. You better make sure you actually ask Jesus who he is. Or you'll be somebody that gets hurt by another human who claims to be a Christian and says, well, you know what, if if that's what Jesus is about, I don't want anything to do with it. There's not a single Christian that's Jesus. You'll see me up here say something, and you might hear about something that I did that was a bonehead move. Don't pin that on Jesus. I'm not him. I'm the reason he had to die. I'm the broken soul that caused him to have to leave heaven and sacrifice himself. I'm the problem. I'm not your source of who Jesus is. He is. You can do your Bible studies. You can go through the Bible app and you can read those things. But if you don't actually have a conversation with him, he wants to be your friend. You're not, miss, you're not getting the complete story. The Bible does lay out a blueprint. It is a piece of it. It is a love story to you. But you have to sit in that chair and chat with Jesus and say, how do you feel about this? Jesus, what should I tell my kid and what they're facing at school? How should I handle this in my marriage? Because we keep bumping up against it over and over and over again. Jesus, how do you actually see me? Because I grew up in a certain situation and I felt this way for a lot of years and I work with some people that feel this way about me, but what do you say about who I am? If you never sit on that chair, whether it's a mountaintop like I like, or maybe you like a beach, or maybe it's your backyard, I don't care what it is. If you never sit in that chair with Jesus and get his side of the story and understand that what he says trumps everything else, you will miss not only what he says about you, you'll get the world's version of your 
purpose, the definition there, and it will impact your time here on earth in a negative way. All three of these tie together, and depending on how you journey through all three of these in one direction or the other will change your experience. And if you don't start with your relationship and understand your purpose, your time is most likely, 99% of the time, going to be very much filled with stuff that does not get to make the journey home. It just won't, because you won't understand what the true definition and the value is of your life. God showed us intent from the very beginning. He gave us the garden. He gave us the law to actually show us we couldn't do it without his help. But guess what humans did? He gave us 613 laws, the Ten Commandments being the most notorious ones of them, and we said, got it. God, we got it. Thanks for giving us the rules. We can keep all of these. Matter of fact, if you got a few more, send them our way. If we've got any amendments, just, just send them on down. Thank you for showing us what it takes to be holy. Covered. We got it. I can imagine God being exasperated at that point, saying, like, I did not send this to you for you to think you could do this. I'm showing you that you have no chance without me. But what the Israelites do, they did it all. And what they do kept falling and falling and falling, just like I have. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus gave up his seat in heaven. Jesus gave his life. At the center of every act of love is giving. If you need to give comfort, you have to give a hug, a helping hand to help somebody up. If somebody needs understanding, you need to give your ears to listen and to talk with them through a certain situation. If somebody's feeling down, you need to give words of affirmation for them to understand what Jesus says about them. If anybody's in financial struggle, to show love, you give them money to help them in their situation, right? See, love without action doesn't exist. If you say you love Jesus and you don't do anything to show that love, it's really hard to believe. I used to tell my students all the time, you don't find out what a person cares about by what they say or what they tell you. You find out by watching them. Because if I say I care about one thing but do another, what I said didn't matter anymore. What my actions showed is what I truly care about. Jesus doesn't want you to feel the pressure and expectation of what the world is saying. Just how God the Father and Jesus the Son pursued us, he just wants that back from us. He didn't want you to come one time a week to check a box off. He wants you to say that even if the church burned down, Jesus, I'm, I'm chasing you every single day. And no matter where we end up meeting, no matter how big or small the building ever gets, Jesus, I'm coming after you as hard as I can. If the band wants to come, come on back up, I'm going to wrap it up. The relationship with Jesus is absolutely pivotal because it will impact how you treat those you love the most around you. You see, love for God is unconditional. But his blessings 
and his presence is not. I have a verse this morning um, in James 4, 8. I think it's going to be on the screen. And sorry, I'm doing these verses out of order because I got all amped up. But I got two verses for you this morning. One in James 4, 8. And it talks about how come near to God and he will come near to you. Who moves first in that verse? We do. See, God's already proved his intentions. He's not going to beg for you to come. He gave his free will for a reason. If he forced you into a relationship, it wouldn't be real love. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. His love is unconditional, just like with my kiddos. They can make mistakes and do whatever, and I'll love them unconditionally, but I will be disappointed and heartbroken by their actions. And God is the same way. You're not going to get all these blessings and wisdom and all the support without yourself putting in the work in the relationship. He wants to be pursued back. His love is unconditional, but the presence, the blessings are not. You need to remember that. And you know what the beauty of that is? Is when you invest back in your relationship and you earn that trust and you earn the possibility in the, the moment where God opens wisdom to you through the Holy Spirit that's not easily just read in the Bible, you've now ventured into a place to where you've experienced something not everybody else gets to experience. It's the beauty about your marriage, relationship with your kids. You get to work for it and enjoy the reward for your efforts. Last verse for the day, Psalm 90, 12, says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This verse is actually telling you that you will actually get a transfer of a gift for learning and disciplining yourself to number your days. If you're mindful that your days are coming to an end, you will gain a heart of wisdom and you will handle the time that you are experiencing right now with much more wisdom and much better priority than you would thinking that I'll just do it tomorrow. Time, purpose, and relationship are all pivotal. And I hope I've pushed you in such a way that you think and you live like you get to go home tomorrow. So whether it's a phone call that needs to be made, whether it's a sorry that needs to be said, whether it's a relationship that needs to be mended, you say, I'm going to do it today. I'm not doing it tomorrow because I'm going to be real honest with you. And if it comes down to it and I get to heaven tomorrow, I'm not going to be begging to be sent back. I'll miss my family. I, I probably won't even experience those emotions. But I'll be at the kingdom of heaven. And so I hope I don't have a bazillion tomorrow. I hope I do what God's called me to do here, and I hope I get the chance to once again pass on the torch. But I hope not long after that, it's just my time. I'm ready to go home. Because home looks like the Garden of Eden. Home is where my king is, my hero is. Home is where my heavenly father is. Home is where possibilities are all possible. So Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for allowing us to be here. I pray that we would honor you with our actions, that we'd honor you with our time. We'd honor you with our purpose. And Jesus, that we would pursue you, spend quality time with you, and that we would have 
your definition, your identity stamped on our hearts, our minds, our tongues, and our ears so that everything we do reflects your goodness and not what the world has told us we are. In your name I pray. And that's this week's message. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired. If you would like to join our online campus and experience the service as it happens live, go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing and blessed week.